0: chapter fourteen of the everlasting man by g k chesterton this librivox recording is in the public domain the five deaths of the faith it is not the purpose of this book to trace the subsequent history of christianity especially the later history of christianity which involves controversies of which i hope to write more fully elsewhere it is devoted only to the suggestion that Christianity, appearing amid heathen humanity, had all the character of a unique thing, and even of a supernatural thing. It was not like any of the other things, and the more we study it, the less it looks like any of them. But there is a certain rather peculiar character which marked it henceforward, even down to the present moment, with a note on which this book may well conclude." I have said that Asia and the ancient world had an air of being too old to die. Christendom has had the very opposite fate. Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. But the first extraordinary fact which marks this history is this that europe has been turned upside down over and over again and that at the end of each of these revolutions the same religion has again been found on top the faith is always converting the age not as an old religion but as a new religion this truth is hidden from many by a convention that is too little noticed curiously enough it is a convention of the sort which those who ignore it claim especially to detect and denounce they are always telling us that priests and ceremonies are not religion and that religious organization can be a hollow sham but they hardly realize how true it is it is so true that three or four times at least in the history of christendom the whole soul seemed to have gone out of christianity and almost every man in his heart expected its end this fact is only masked in mediaeval or other times by that very official religion which such critics pride themselves on seeing through Christianity remained the official religion of a Renaissance prince, or the official religion of an 18th-century bishop, just as an ancient mythology remained the official religion of Julius Caesar, or the Arian creed long remained the official religion of Julian the Apostate. But there was a difference between the cases of Julius and of Julian, because the Church had begun its strange career. There was no reason why men like Julius should not worship gods like Jupiter forever in public and laugh at them forever in private. But when Julian treated Christianity as dead, he found it had come to life again. He also found, incidentally, that there was not the faintest sign of Jupiter ever coming to life again. This case of Julian and the episode of Arianism is but the first in a series of examples that can only be roughly indicated here arianism as has been said had every human appearance of being the natural way in which that particular superstition of constantine might be expected to peter out all the ordinary stages had been passed through the creed had become a respectable thing had become a ritual thing had then been modified into a rational thing and the rationalists were ready to dissipate the last remains of it just as they do to-day when christianity rose again suddenly and through them it was almost as unexpected as christ rising from the dead but there are many other examples of the same thing even about the same time the rush of missionaries from ireland for example has all the air of an unexpected onslaught of young men on an old world and even on a church that showed signs of growing old some of them were martyred on the coast of cornwall and the chief authority on cornish antiquities told me that he did not believe for a moment that they were martyred by heathens but as he expressed it with some humour by rather slack christians now if we were to dip below the surface of history as it is not in the scope of this argument to do, I suspect that we should find several occasions when Christendom was thus to all appearances hollowed out from within by doubt and indifference, so that only the old Christian shell stood as the pagan shell had stood so long. But the difference is that in every case the sons were fanatical for the faith where the fathers had been slack about it. This is obvious in the case of the transition from the Renaissance to the Counter-Reformation it is obvious in the case of a transition from the eighteenth century to many catholic revivals of our own time but i suspect many other examples which would be worthy of separate studies the faith is not a survival it is not as if the druids had managed somehow to survive somewhere for two thousand years that is what might have happened in asia or ancient europe in that indifference or tolerance in which mythologies and philosophies could live forever side by side it has not survived it has returned again and again in this western world of rapid change and institutions perpetually perishing europe in the tradition of rome was always trying revolution and reconstruction rebuilding a universal republic and it always began by rejecting this old stone and ended by making it the head of the corner by bringing it back from the rubbish heap to make it the crown of the capital some stones of stonehenge are standing and some are fallen and as the stone falleth so shall it lie there has not been a druidic renaissance every century or two with the young druids crowned with fresh mistletoe dancing in the sun on salisbury plain stonehenge has not been rebuilt in every style of architecture from the rude round norman to the last rococo of the baroque the sacred place of the druids is safe from the vandalism of restoration but the church in the west was not in a world where things were too old to die but in one in which they were always young enough to get killed the consequence was that superficially and externally it often did get killed nay it sometimes wore out even without getting killed and there follows a fact i find it somewhat difficult to describe yet which I believe to be very real and rather important. As a ghost is the shadow of a man, and in that sense the shadow of life, so at intervals there passed across this endless life a sort of shadow of death. It came at the moment when it would have perished had it been perishable. It withered away everything that was perishable. If such animal parallels were worthy of the occasion, we might say that the snake shuddered and shed its skin and went on or even that the cat went into convulsions as it lost only one of its nine hundred and ninety-nine lives it is truer to say in a more dignified image that a clock struck and nothing happened or that a bell tolled for an execution that was everlastingly postponed what was the meaning of all that dim but vast unrest of the twelfth century when as it has been so finely said julian stood in his sleep why did there appear so strangely early in the twilight of dawn after the Dark Ages so deep a scepticism as that involved in urging nominalism against realism? For realism against nominalism was really realism against rationalism, or something more destructive than what we call rationalism. The answer is that just as some might have thought the Church simply a part of the Roman Empire, so others later might have thought the Church only a part of the Dark Ages the dark ages ended as the empire had ended and the church should have departed with them if she had not been also one of the shades of night it was another of those spectral deaths or simulations of death i mean that if nominalism had succeeded it would have been as if arianism had succeeded it would have been the beginning of a confession that christianity had failed for nominalism is a far more fundamental scepticism than mere atheism such was the question that was openly asked as the dark ages broadened into that daylight that we call the modern world but what was the answer the answer was aquinas in the chair of aristotle taking all knowledge for his province and tens of thousands of lads down to the lowest ranks of peasant and serf living in rags and on crusts about the great colleges to listen to the scholastic philosophy what was the meaning of all that whisper of fear that ran round the west under the shadow of islam and fills every old romance with incongruous images of saracen knights swaggering in norway or the hebrides why were men in the extreme west such as king john if i remember rightly accused of being secretly muslims as men are accused of being secretly atheists why was there that fierce alarm among some of the authorities about the rationalistic arab version or aristotle authorities are seldom alarmed like that except when it is too late the answer is that hundreds of people probably believed in their hearts that islam would conquer christendom that averos was more rational than anselm that the saracen culture was really as it was superficially a superior culture here again we should probably find a whole generation the older generation very doubtful and depressed and weary the coming of Islam would only have been the coming of Unitarianism a thousand years before its time. To many, it may have seemed quite reasonable and quite probable and quite likely to happen. If so, they would have been surprised at what did happen. What did happen was a roar like thunder from thousands and thousands of young men, throwing all their youth into one exultant countercharge the Crusades it was the sons of st francis the jugglers of god wandering singing over all the roads of the world it was the gothic going up like a flight of arrows it was the waking of the world in considering the war of the albigensians we come to the breach in the heart of europe and the landslide of a new philosophy that nearly ended christendom forever in that case the new philosophy was also a very new philosophy it was pessimism it was none the less like modern ideas because it was as old as asia most modern ideas are it was the gnostics returning but why did the gnostics return because it was the end of an epoch like the end of the empire and should have been the end of the church it was schopenhauer hovering over the future but it was also manichaeus rising from the dead that men might have death and that they might have it more abundantly it is rather more obvious in the case of the renaissance simply because the period is so much nearer to us and people know so much more about it but there is more even in that example than most people know apart from the peculiar controversies which i wish to reserve for a separate study the period was far more chaotic than those controversies commonly imply when protestants call latimer a martyr to protestantism and catholics reply that campion was a martyr to catholicism it is often forgotten that many perished in such persecutions could only be described as martyrs to atheism or anarchism or even diabolism that world was almost as wild as our own. The men wandering about in it included the sort of man who says there is no God, the sort of man who says he is himself God, the sort of man who says something that nobody can make head or tail of. If we could have the conversation of the age following the Renaissance, we should probably be shocked by its shameless negations. The remarks attributed to Marlowe are probably pretty typical of the talk in many intellectual taverns. The transition from pre-Reformation to post-Reformation Europe was through a void of very yawning questions, yet again in the long run the answer was the same. It was one of those monuments when, as Christ walked on the water, so was Christianity walking in the air. But all these cases are remote in date and could only be proved in detail. We can see the fact much more clearly in the case when the paganism of the Renaissance ended Christianity, and Christianity unaccountably began all over again. But we can see it most clearly of all in the case which is close to us and full of manifest and minute evidence, the case of the great decline of religion that began about the time of Voltaire. For indeed it is our own case, and we ourselves have seen the decline of that decline." the two hundred years since voltaire do not flash past us at a glance like the fourth and fifth centuries or the twelfth and thirteenth centuries in our own case we can see this oft-repeated process close at hand we know how completely a society can lose its fundamental religion without abolishing its official religion we know how men can all become agnostics long before they abolish bishops and we know that also in this last ending which really did look to us like the final ending the incredible thing has happened again the faith has a better following among the young men than among the old when ibsen spoke of the new generation knocking at the door he certainly never expected that it would be the church door at least five times, therefore, with the Arian and with the Albigensian, with the humanist sceptic, after Voltaire and after Darwin, the faith has, to all appearance, gone to the dogs. In each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. How complete was the collapse, and how strange the reversal, we can only see in detail in the case nearest to our own time. A thousand things have been said about the Oxford movement and the parallel French-Catholic revival. But few have made us feel the simplest fact about it, that it was a surprise. It was a puzzle as well as a surprise, because it seemed to most people like a river turning backwards from the sea and trying to climb back into the mountains. To have read the literature of the 18th and 19th centuries is to know that nearly everybody had come to take it for granted that religion was a thing that would continually broaden like a river till it reached an infinite sea. Some of them expected it to go down in a cataract of catastrophe, most of them expected it to widen into an estuary of equality and moderation, but all of them thought its returning on itself a prodigy as incredible as witchcraft. In other words, most moderate people thought that faith, like freedom, would be slowly broadened down, and some advanced people thought that it would be very rapidly broadened down, not to say flattened out. All that world of Guizot and Macaulay and the commercial and scientific liberality was perhaps more certain than any man before or since about the direction in which the world is going. People were so certain about the direction that they only differed about the pace. Many anticipated with alarm, and a few with sympathy, a Jacobin revolt that should guillotine the Archbishop of Canterbury, or a Chartist riot that should hang the parsons on the lamp posts but it seemed like a convulsion in nature that the archbishop instead of losing his head should be looking for his mitre and that instead of diminishing the respect due to parsons we should strengthen it to the respect due to priests it revolutionized their very vision of revolution and turned their very topsy-turvydom topsy-turvy in short the whole world being divided about whether the stream was going slower or faster became conscious of something vague but vast that was going against the stream both in fact and figure there is something deeply disturbing about this and that for an essential reason a dead thing can go with the stream but only a living thing can go against it a dead dog can be lifted on the leaping water with all the swiftness of a leaping hound but only a live dog can swim backwards a paper boat can ride the rising deluge with all the airy arrogance of a fairy ship but if the fairy-ship sails upstream, it is really rowed by the fairies. And among the things that merely went with the tide of apparent progress and enlargement, there was many a demagogue or sophist, whose wild gestures were in truth as lifeless as the movement of a dead dog's limbs wavering in the eddying water, and many a philosophy uncommonly like a paper boat, of the sort that it is not difficult to knock into a cocked hat and even the truly living and even life-giving things that went with that stream did not thereby prove that they were living or life-giving. It was this other force that was unquestionably and unaccountably alive, the mysterious and unmeasured energy that was thrusting back the river. That was felt to be like the movement of some great monster, and it was nonetheless clearly a living monster because most people thought it a prehistoric monster it was none the less an unnatural and incongruous and to some a comic upheaval as if the great sea-serpent had suddenly risen out of the round pond unless we consider the sea-serpent as more likely to live in the serpentine this flippant element in the fantasy must not be missed for it was one of the clearest testimonies to the unexpected nature of the reversal that age did really feel that a preposterous quality in prehistoric animals belonged also to historic rituals that mitres and tiaras were like the horns or crests of antediluvian creatures and that appealing to a primitive church was like dressing up as a primitive man the world is still puzzled by that movement but most of all because it still moves i have said something elsewhere of the rather random sort of reproaches that are still directed against it and its much greater consequences it is enough to say here that the more such critics reproach it the less they explain it in a sense it is my concern here if not to explain it at least to suggest the direction of the explanation but above all it is my concern to point out one particular thing about it and that is that it had all happened before and even many times before to sum up, in so far as it is true that recent centuries have seen an attenuation of Christian doctrine, recent centuries have only seen what the most remote centuries have seen. And even the modern example has only ended as the medieval and pre-medieval examples ended. It is already clear, and grows clearer every day, that it is not only going to end in the disappearance of the diminished creed, but rather in the return of those parts of it that had really disappeared. It is going to end as the Arian compromise ended, as the attempts at a compromise with nominalism and even with Albigensianism ended. But the point to seize in the modern case, as in all other cases, is that what returns is not in that sense a simplified theology, not according to that view a purified theology. It is simply theology. It is that enthusiasm for theological studies that marked the old doctrinal ages. It is the divine science. An old Don, with D.D. after his name, may have become the typical figure of a boar, but that was because he was himself bored with his theology, not because he was excited about it. It was precisely because he was admittedly more interested in the Latin of Plautus than in the Latin of Augustine, in the Greek of Xenophon than in the Greek of Chrysostom. It was precisely because he was more interested in a dead tradition than in a decidedly living tradition in short it was precisely because he was himself a type of the time in which christian faith was weak it was not because men would not hail if they could the most wonderful and almost wild vision of a doctor of divinity there are people who say they wish christianity to remain as a spirit they mean very literally that they wish it to remain as a ghost but it is not going to remain as a ghost what follows this process of apparent death is not the lingering of the shade it is the resurrection of the body these people are quite prepared to shed pious and reverential tears over the sepulchre of the son of man what they are not prepared for is the son of man walking once more upon the hills of mourning these people and indeed most people were indeed by this time quite accustomed to the idea that the old christian candle light would fade into the light of common day to many of them it did quite honestly appear like that pale yellow flame of a candle when it is left burning in daylight it was all the more unexpected and therefore all the more unmistakable that the seven-branched candlestick suddenly towered to heaven like a miraculous tree and flamed until the sun turned pale but other ages have seen the day conquer the candle-light and then the candlelight conquer the day again and again before our time men have grown content with a diluted doctrine and again and again there has followed on that dilution coming as out of the darkness in a crimson cataract the strength of the red original wine and we only say once more to-day as has been said many times by our fathers Long years and centuries ago our fathers, or the founders of our people, drank as they dreamed of the blood of God. Long years and centuries have passed since the strength of that giant vintage has been anything but a legend of the age of giants. Centuries ago already is the dark time of the second fermentation when the wine of Catholicism turned into the vinegar of Calvinism long since that bitter drink has been itself diluted rinsed out and washed away by the waters of oblivion and the wave of the world never did we think to taste again even that bitter tang of sincerity and the spirit still less the richer and the sweeter strength of the purple vineyards in our dreams of the age of gold day by day and year by year we have lowered our hopes and lessened our convictions. We have grown more and more used to seeing those vats and vineyards overwhelmed in the water-floods, and the last savour and suggestion of that special element fading like a stain of purple upon a sea of grey. We have grown used to dilution, to disillusion, to a watering down that went on for ever. But thou hast kept the good wine until now." This is the final fact, and it is the most extraordinary of all. The faith has not only often died, but it has often died of old age. It has not only been often killed, but it has often died a natural death, in the sense of coming to a natural and necessary end. It is obvious that it has survived the most savage and the most universal persecutions, from the shock of the Diocletian Fury to the shock of the French Revolution but it has a more strange and even a more weird tenacity. It has survived not only war but peace. It has not only died often, but degenerated often and decayed often. It has survived its own weakness and even its own surrender. We need not repeat what is so obvious about the beauty of the end of Christ in its wedding of youth and death. But this is almost as if Christ had lived to the last possible span had been a white-haired sage of a hundred, and died of natural decay, and then had risen again rejuvenated with trumpets and the rending of the sky. It was said truly enough that human Christianity, in its recurrent weakness, was sometimes too much wedded to the powers of the world, but if it was wedded it has very often been widowed. It is a strangely immortal sort of widow, an enemy may have said at one moment that it was but an aspect of the power of the Caesars, it sounds as strange today as to call it an aspect of the pharaohs. An enemy might say that it was the official faith of feudalism, and it sounds as convincing now as to say that it was bound to perish with the ancient Roman villa. All these things did indeed run their course to its normal end, and there seemed no course for the religion but to end with them it ended, and it began again. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The civilization of antiquity was the whole world, and men no more dreamed of its ending than of the ending of daylight. They could not imagine another order unless it were in another world. The civilization of the world has passed away, and those words have not passed away." in the long night of the dark ages feudalism was so familiar a thing that no man could imagine himself without a lord and religion was so woven into that network that no man would have believed they could be torn asunder feudalism itself was torn to rags and rotted away in the popular life of the true middle ages and the first and freshest power in that new freedom was the old religion feudalism had passed away and the words did not pass away the whole medieval order in many ways, so complete and almost cosmic a home for man, wore out gradually in its turn, and here at least it was thought that the words would die. They went forth across the radiant abyss of the Renaissance, and in fifty years were using all its light and learning for new religious foundations, new apologetics, new saints. It was supposed to have been withered up at last in the dry light of the age of reason it was supposed to have disappeared ultimately in the earthquake of the age of revolution science explained it away and it was still there history disinterred it in the past and it appeared suddenly in the future today it stands once more in our path and even as we watch it it grows if our social relations and records retain their continuity, if men really learn to apply reason to the accumulating facts of so crushing a story, it would seem that sooner or later even its enemies will learn from their incessant and interminable disappointments not to look for anything so simple as its death. They may continue to war with it, but it will be as they war with nature." as they war with the landscape as they war with the skies heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away they will watch for it to stumble they will watch for it to err they will no longer watch for it to end insensibly even unconsciously they will, in their own silent anticipations, fulfill the relative terms of that astounding prophecy. They will forget to watch for the mere extinction of what has so often been vainly extinguished, and will learn instinctively to look first for the coming of the comet or the freezing of the star. End of chapter 14